why are you thankful for science on Thanksgiving? There's so much. It's given us all of the things, basically, from beer to cell phones. The cliche answer would be my phone. You know, also there's the useful stuff like medicine. I am thankful about science this year because it gives me a better understanding of what's going on in the world. Helping people understand our place in the universe and the world around us in ways I feel like it actually helps to connect people. I'm glad that there's science that debunks racist claims and that we're all homo sapiens. I'm thankful for science on Thanksgiving because I'm able to find out biology between the turkeys. Well, that was my buddy Rich Hayes and me out in the streets of Harvard Square asking random folks why they're thankful for science. Welcome to a special episode of Got Science. We're doing things a little differently today because it's almost time for Thanksgiving. I know the holidays can sometimes be stressful for folks, so we're gonna take a low stress approach and express gratitude for some of the good things in life, like science, the practice of science, the free expression of scientific research, the wonder of scientific discovery, the ways science has explained our lives and improved our lives, and in many cases, saved our lives. In order to give expression to this gratitude, the Got Science team rounded up five esteemed scientists who just happen to serve on the board of the Union of Concerned Scientists and asked them why they are thankful for science. Among the crowd, a Harvard professor, a Presidential Medal of Freedom winner, and a marine conservation expert who grew up doodling pictures of whales. And stick around after the interviews to find out how you can give a Thanksgiving shout-out to a government scientist. My first conversation was with Dr. Steve Fetter. Dr. Steve Fetter is professor in the School of Public Policy at the University of Maryland. He's a leading scientific voice on nuclear arms control and nonproliferation, nuclear energy, and climate change. In 2015 and 16, Dr. Fetter was on leave to the White House, where he led the National Security and International Affairs Division in the Office of Science and Technology Policy. He's also a pioneer in his personal life. He's the first member of his family to receive a high school diploma and attend college. Dr. Fetter, thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure. So I want to ask you, what first got you interested in science? My fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Baker, could see that I was bored and gave me her college textbook in astronomy. And that just captured my imagination. And I think from that point on, I, I wanted to be an astronomer or an astrophysicist. And I was fortunate to grow up in a rural area on a hill with a brilliant night sky. You could see all the stars. And I built telescopes. And uh, So you didn't have a lot of light pollution no. getting in your way? <laughs> So what inspires you about science? Well, there's so much. I suppose what I most enjoy about science is the way of thinking, the critical, rigorous way of thinking that doesn't depend on who you are or who your parents were or your background, that uh, you can prove if something is right. You can measure it again and again and get the answer, and that's what's important, and it gives it's given uh, humanity a way of reaching consensus about mm -hmm. difficult issues that I think could be emulated in other areas. What do you consider the most important or incredible scientific discovery? 
I don't know if it's the most important, but for me the most significant is the recent measurement of gravity waves for the first time. And it's significant for me because when I was an undergraduate at MIT, Ray Weiss, who was one of the people to share the Nobel Prize this year, he described this research project to me. This was 40 years ago. And the waves themselves are incredibly, un unimaginably difficult to measure. And the fact that you could build an instrument to measure these tiny effects and that the signals would match exactly the predictions of Albert Einstein made over 100 years ago and that this would open up a whole new way of observing the universe, I find just amazing and remarkable. Final question. This is um, not based in, in science, but if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I'm not sure if this is a superpower, but I would love to go into the future. If time travel were possible, mm -hmm. I would certainly choose to go into the future to see what are you know, the new discoveries and also how humanity deals with some of the challenges that are in front of us, like the challenges posed by nuclear weapons and climate mm -hmm. change. Any predictions? Uh, no, I think I'm mindful of what Niels Bohr said. That prediction is difficult, especially about the future. Well, thank you for joining us. <laughs> it was my pleasure. Thanks. And now let's hear from Dr. James McCarthy. Dr. James McCarthy is Alexander Agassi Professor of Biological Oceanography at Harvard University and past director of Harvard's Museum of Comparative Zoology. Professor McCarthy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I know one of the reasons you studied oceanography is because it allowed you to approach science from several disciplines, biology, chemistry, and geology. What would you say the most significant discovery has been in your lifetime? The discovery that I often think about, and it, it's not truly an ocean discovery, but it helped us understand a lot about the ocean, is a discovery made in the mid-1980s from the ice cores in Antarctica that allowed us to look at the history of the atmosphere and ocean processes back 150,000 years through the last ice age cycle and see how carbon dioxide in the atmosphere varied with the temperature of Earth. And that opened up a whole new window in seeing how the oceans and the atmospheres interact to regulate the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and how that affects climate. Do you remember the moment when you knew that you wanted to be a scientist? Well, I think I always felt I wanted to be a scientist, but then I got distracted thinking about other things. But probably the period, and it would be days and weeks after a moment, uh, was um, a Christmas when I received a microscope. I was probably about 10. And my father showed me things that I could never have imagined seeing. And then I just kind of went crazy with it. A whole world And, and whether it was, you know, looking at a feather or taking a little bit of water out of a pond and tying a string on a test tube and swinging it over my head and, and decanting to see what was in that little bit of sediment at the bottom, it opened my eyes to things that I just found so exciting. And, it, you know, I had already been interested in birds and, and wildlife in general, but this seeing it at this level just for me was really exciting and then you know i interested in other things at various points history and literature but i kept coming back to science if you could see into the future what do you think is on the horizon in terms of incredible scientific discoveries 
Hmm, well, <laughs> the wonderful thing about the future in science is you don't know what you're going to find, but you know it's going to be exciting. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what keeps us going every day. I mean, every time I've been on the ocean and I've spent about five years of my life on ships somewhere, you see things you never could have imagined. And even though you go out with a research plan and you're prepared to conduct experiments, make observations, test theories, you see things that you say, I couldn't have imagined that. Mm -hmm. So I think the just the notion that there is exciting things to discover at every level of the nature around us and beyond us uh, is what I think certainly drives scientists and is where the excitement is. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I think you will have inspired a number of people today to um, get interested in science. Thanks for the opportunity. Next up, Dr. Ann Kapuscinski. So in my quest to talk to scientists about the positive, often life-changing work they do, I caught up with Dr. Ann Kapuscinski. She's the Sherman Fairchild Distinguished Professor of Sustainability Science at Dartmouth College, a world-renowned expert on fisheries conservation, ecological risk assessment of genetically modified organisms, and sustainable aquaculture and agriculture. Dr. Kapuscinski, welcome to the Got Science podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So tell me, what inspires you most about science? What inspires me the most about science is that it's a really systematic way of encouraging you to keep an open mind, to explore, you know, how does the world actually work and how do we solve problems, and to do it in a way that's transparent and really relies on facts to kind of lead you to what the answer is. So you have to keep an open mind and let the facts kind of lead you to the answer. So it celebrates facts, it celebrates an open mind, it celebrates truth, and it celebrates the sort of joy of discovery of just understanding how the world works and then using that understanding to help solve real problems that matter in people's lives. How did you first get interested in science? You know, I think it really started because of a love of nature and a love of living things. I can remember in fourth grade doing my first report, which was about whales. And I remember mostly drawing pictures of the whales in this kind of neat little scrapbook that I had and using crayons, et cetera. But then I got sort of fascinated. I wanted to find out, you know, what do whales actually do in the ocean? And I got fascinated about the different ways that they have of eating and the different species of whales. And I think, you know, I think it was just the process of asking questions. I sort of stumbled on the fact that the way people investigate these kinds of questions is through science. I also had some inspiring teachers. I had a high school biology teacher who I think has a lot to do with where I ended up today. If you could thank science, what would you want to thank science for? I would want to thank science for saving lives. And I think about the very simple thing of antibiotics which we tend to take for granted, you know, if those of us especially who were born since, let's say, World War II. But we save lives on a daily basis just through the easy access to antibiotics, at least those of us who are relatively well off. We save lives from diseases that killed people on a regular basis in the past. Um, very recently, just in my own family, antibiotics and some other medicines, such as some of the, the new generation of chemotherapy, saved the life of my brother who came down with a very rare form of cancer that could have killed him. And I was very involved in being sort of his medical advocate to help save his life. And if we hadn't had access to antibiotics, antifungals, and also some of these um, sort of second generation or new generation chemotherapies, he wouldn't be alive today. 
And a number of years ago, I came down with a uh, antibiotic-resistant form of urinary tract infection and almost landed in the hospital with kidney infection. And what saved me from it, that getting worse and becoming life-threatening is that the doctors had access to another antibiotic. Of course, the fact that I'm bringing this up, this happens to be one of the areas where the kind of scientific work that Union of Concerned Scientists and other organizations do is very important because actually we have some antibiotics that are now threatened because they've been overused in some cases in livestock, agriculture, and we've developed evolution of resistance to antibiotics. But I thank science for the discovery of something like that, which again, people often don't realize these antibiotics aren't just synthesized by scientists. They were first discovered in bacteria, and then the scientists figured out ways to harness that and be able to use it and mass produce it to help to save our lives. Right, we often simplify. The layperson might just think, oh, that just happened, but they're not realizing that years of discovery and research went into. Yeah, and if you that. looked around, you know, every day there are things that you sort of take for granted that actually allow you to have a healthy life. The fact that we can no longer have terrible smog throughout the United States and have, right. you know, clean air, and the fact that we have clean water, there's all kinds of scientific research that went into documenting the causes of the problems that we had, and then by linking that science actually to policy, effective policy actions, we solve those problems. So I thank science for being able to maintain safe and healthy lives. Great, thank you. You're welcome. We'll be back in a moment with the second half of our interview where I talk to a Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. Got Science is brought to you by the Union of Concerned Scientists. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. More at gotsciencepodcast.org. If you like what you hear, leave a review on iTunes and please share us with your friends and colleagues. And now let's get back to our scientists. Next up is Dr. Richard Garwin. Dr. Richard Garwin is one of the country's most esteemed physicists. He designed the first hydrogen bomb before becoming a longtime advocate for reducing the threats of nuclear weapons. He's a National Medal of Science laureate and last year was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor in the United States. Dr. Garwin, welcome to the Got Science podcast. Thank you. Now, we benefit daily from technologies you've helped to develop over the years, including touch screens, laser printers, GPS navigation systems, earth imaging satellites, and more. So I want to ask you first, what do you consider the most significant scientific discovery in your lifetime? Probably uh, it's not so much science, but technology. The invention of the transistor in the early 1950s, and uh, then the steady evolution to silicon planar technology and uh, the ability to put more and more logic processing computational capability on a single chip. So that's what has given us smartphones, made it possible to have a GPS positioning, navigation, and timing universal, facilitated all kinds of other science and technology, and uh, made possible artificial intelligence, uh, which will further transform the world. So we wouldn't be where we are now in any field of uh, science, technology, commerce uh, without the integrated circuit 
and its uh, headlong evolution over the decades. When did you first become interested in science? Oh, I suppose when I was a kid. My father was uh, had a degree in electrical engineering, <clears throat> and there were all kinds of uh, engineering textbooks and handbooks around the house, uh, so I read them. And it was very interesting, so uh, why not? Uh-huh. If you could have any superpower, what would you want? Well, you know, kids always wanted to have the power of invisibility or the power to fly or you know, the power to eliminate death, but what would we do with all of the people? So <laughs> I guess I would like for people to be rational. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great superpower. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, you're welcome. Finally, my last interview on the universal language of science with Dr. Andrew Gunther. Dr. Andrew Gunther is an environmental scientist with a specialty in ecotoxicology. He was the assistant chief scientist for the Exxon Valdez oil spill restoration program, and he founded the Center for Ecosystem Management and Restoration, a regional leader in bringing salmon back to California's waterways. Dr. Gunther, welcome to the Got Science podcast. Thanks, Colleen. You say on your website, and I quote, English is my native tongue, but I speak science. You're clearly passionate about science and about communicating science. So what steered you towards science in the first place? I think I've always been fascinated about the natural world. Uh, very attracted to understanding about other living creatures and the environment they operate in. Um, and science is a way of learning about that. And I've always found it very intriguing. What inspires you about science? The thing I find most inspiring about science is that it's in essence a universal language that can cross cultures. Um, and it provides humans with a common way of understanding truth that I think can greatly alleviate suffering and improve people's lives. That's really interesting. I've never thought of that, but if you go to any country and you talk to a scientist, you're going to be working with the same sure. set of principles or language. That's, that's right. And you have the same way of approaching a problem and discovering a solution. We need more scientists in government. What do you consider the most amazing scientific discovery of your lifetime? Oh my goodness, there are many. Certainly one of the things that I think is the most incredible and, and it's discovery I share with people when I speak publicly about climate change is the 800,000 year record that we now have of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and the ability to see how different we have made things just in the last couple hundred years compared to that 800,000 year record. But I also think that the evidence that we now have that shows that we share about 99% of our DNA with chimpanzees is something I've always found pretty amazing too. And the, and the whole idea that as we've learned to sequence DNA, it's been another independent piece of evidence that has validated the theory of evolution. Any predictions for the future? I'm not a futurist. I'm just a biologist. <laughs> that sounded <laughs> Other, a little Star Trek. <laughs> but I, do, I certainly think it, there'll be some amazing things that we will discover. So if you could thank science, what would you thank it for? I would thank science for developing knowledge that's improved my life and the life of people all over the world. And I would also thank science for providing me with a life that has been full of learning and discovery and wonder. 
So it sounds like you're an optimist, perhaps. That's a much better life to lead, to be hopeful. Uh, I do sometimes have to find hope when things don't seem hopeful, but finding hope is a much better way to live. And I do think that science will help us deal with some of the problems that face us. Great. Thanks so much for joining me. It's been my pleasure. That's it for our interviews. I hope you've been inspired by science. So this year has been a tough one for government scientists. I brought Dr. Andrew Rosenberg back to tell us about a social media campaign we're running to help boost the morale of these hardworking folks. Do you know just how indispensable the work done by federal scientists is to our health and safety? When we can have a meal without getting food poisoning, we can thank the scientists at the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Food and Drug Administration. When we step outside for a breath of fresh air or drink a glass of water to wash down that Thanksgiving turkey or tofurkey, we know researchers at the Environmental Protection Agency are working hard to improve our air and water quality. We get in the car, we can be grateful for the efforts of the Department of Transportation to design and test vehicle safety standards like seat belts and airbags. Or how about the scientists at my former agency, NOAA, who give warning of dangerous storms or work every day to understand how to keep our oceans healthy and vibrant for all of us to enjoy. Yet despite how critical science is to our health and safety, our very quality of life, this administration and Congress too often are attempting to gut science-based safeguards or restrain the ability of agency scientists to provide us the information we need. As we get ready for Thanksgiving, Show your support for the public service our federal scientists and their science programs do for all of us and the safeguards that they provide to us and our families. Tweet hashtag thankagovscientist to a federal scientist or science program that is helping you or your community. And while you're at it, tag your senator in the tweet too. Let everyone on your Twitter feed know that federal science and scientists are important to all of us. Hashtag thankagovscientist. Well, that's it for this episode of the Got Science Podcast. I have many people to thank this week. Special thanks to Dr. Steve Fetter, Dr. James McCarthy, Dr. Ann Kapuscinski, Dr. Richard Garwin, and Dr. Andrew Gunther. And of course, thanks science. Dr. Andrew Rosenberg, thanks for telling us how we can support government scientists. Hashtag thankagovscientist. Engineering and music by Brian Middleton. Research and writing by Pamela Worth. Our executive producer is Rich Hayes, and I'm your host, Colleen MacDonald. If you'd like to hear more episodes of Got Science, go to gotsciencepodcast.org. Or even easier, you can pick us up on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And while you're at it, send me an email at podcast at ucsusa.org. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, and see you next time.